Well, good morning, everyone. I uh, would like to ask you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to uh, continue our study of 2 Corinthians. And uh, the second message that uh, focuses on chapter 6. I'm sure that you remember last week we talked about the supernaturalness of ministry. And so Paul's focused on the, the grace of Almighty God and how it's because of God's grace that we, we kind of stand and we're able to deal with all of the obstacles in our way in regards to uh, loving him and serving him. And so the Apostle Paul gives us the objectives of the chapter. And in those objectives, in the first uh, three verses or so, he tells us that he's praying and he's appealing to us that we would be working together, that we would serve uh, God together that we're serving with God as well. That's all dealing with God's grace. And then he tells us that he's concerned that we walk the walk, that we not uh, really uh, deal with the grace of God in vain, that there not be an emptiness to that grace. And then he tells us that we really need to uh, clear the way so that we're not obstacles in anyone's path, that we're not doing things or saying things that to trip people up. And uh, then he tells us in the last objective that we need to realize the urgency of time as it relates to us serving him. And so now is the time of salvation. You and I need to realize that the only guarantee we have is right here, right now. And so we need to make the most of the time which God has given to us here on this earth. And then he talks about all of the obstacles that have been in his path. And he talks about how, you know, he's been imprisoned and how he's had to deal with riots and, and all kinds of things. You know, we sang a brand new song this morning. I, I think it was new, new to me anyway. And uh, the title of it was Stand in Your Love. And I, I think when, when I heard the, us singing, especially that first stanza and the, the chorus of it, it could be Paul's uh, theme song, I think, for even this chapter. Because the opening said this, when darkness tries to roll over my bones, when sorrow comes to steal joy I own, when brokenness and pain is all I know, I won't be shaken, I won't be shaken. Now here's the chorus. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. You see, that could be Paul's song. That all of these obstacles, all of these issues that he had to deal with, nine of them are listed. And yet Paul realizes that because of the power of God, the grace of God, the love of God, he can stand in the midst of all of that brokenness. But guess what? So can I and so can you. And so then Paul deals with these contrasts, and he gives us six paradoxes, if you remember. And probably the greatest paradox that he gives us is, is in verse 10, that the world doesn't understand. In fact, sometimes we don't even understand it. Where Paul says, you know, I can be sorrowful, yet rejoicing at the very same time. How can that happen? Only because of the supernaturalness 
of God, the supernaturalness of his grace. Now, Paul continues to deal with these issues in verses 11, 12, and 13. He talks about uh, affection and love. He really makes an appeal. It's not a command, but he makes this appeal. And he says this in essence in these verses, and we'll look at them in more detail in just a few minutes. But here's what he says. He says, I have opened my heart to you, but you've closed your heart to me. And so he makes this appeal, open your heart to me. And so he's pleading. He's making this plea, this appeal for affection. And he calls them to love, and he he talks about the concern that he has that they love him just like he loves them. I'm sure all of us can relate to that to some extent. Have you ever reached out to really love someone, and yet that person doesn't love you back? And you feel like you've placed your neck, so to speak, on the chopping block. But because Paul trusted God and the grace of Almighty God... He was able to reach out and love those who didn't even love him. In fact, in chapter 12, he makes that statement, the more abundantly I love you, the less you love me. And so Paul makes this appeal. Now, the second part of this chapter, after we look at, at how this appeal for affection, he then changes gears and he gives commands. And he gives us four commands, and these commands are about being cautious in our alliances, in our partnerships, in our friendships. And he he really is warning us, and he's saying this, that we're to love, and we're to love everyone, but be careful that your alliances and your partnerships aren't spiritually toxic and make sure that they don't hurt your walk with God and hurt you loving God those that God wants you to love. With that in mind, we, I want to show you a video before we actually read the scriptures. And this is, this is uh, really about a life group here at the church. I hope you're in a life group. Uh, I'm in a life group. It's, it's actually the first time I'm in a life group here at this church. And I love my life group. It's a great group. Great group of people that, that I've known but not known well. This little video is not about my life group, but about another life group who really is concerned about sharing the grace and love of Almighty God. Because really that's what Paul's talking about here, that that you and I need to to realize that our love and the grace that we've been touched by needs to be extended to other people. Take note of this short video. I remember sitting with my wife and and just expressing uh, how how challenging it is now to to prepare for the next Sunday, having been uh, just feeling like the weight of the world is on you, and how difficult that is now to prepare and to 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 try to bring that, uh, that freshness to stay fully engaged uh, when when at times uh, you know the the psalmist put it this way you know God where are you <laughs> and and you feel like with with all this weight that that maybe there's a distance between you and God. Our God is very imminent, but he's also very transcendent. And at times you can feel that distance. And whether that season was from the criticism or, or even God divinely intervening to make me feel the distance, I had this wonderful experience because some of my choir members had said, hey, would you come over on a Sunday to play some games? 
I came into this life group and they just started introducing themselves and um, told me how they got involved in the gathering place, which was really neat. But then they went around and just shared um, how blessed they are by the, the ministry of music here at the gathering place. Al and I were just holding hands and just like, what is happening? This is wonderful, but I don't know what's happening. Um, and then they prayed for us. Suddenly I realized it's, this wasn't game night. This, this is a gift night. And, and God, the transcendent God that, that I felt so far from was suddenly very near. He was here in the room and, and he was uh, expressing uh, love and thankfulness to me. Uh, this is grace, right? Undeserved favor. <laughs> I don't deserve this. And here it is being poured out on me. I left energized, renewed, refreshed, uh, ready to dive in. We had a lot of music to write for the Christmas season. And, and I firmly believe that, that that night empowered this Christmas season. Uh, you know, love poured out on me, love poured out into the music, love poured out into, you know, Christmas season, Christmas Eve. It, it, just God's gracious act of outgoing love was, was what I experienced during this season. So here's a life group that is watching people and they're thinking about Scott Ladd and Alla and how they're new to us in ministry and how Scott's uh, ministry is not an easy ministry uh, right now here at this church. And this is not a life group of, made up of people who knew them well and, and uh, you know, they were close friends. But here is a group, a life group, that wanted to extend grace and love to encourage somebody. See, that's the way every life group should be. That's the way all of us should be. And so here, here is an example. This is a story of grace. I, I want to share with you uh, throughout this year, stories of grace. We talked about how stories of grace really dealt with uh, 176 plus people who got saved over the last three or four months. They're stories of grace. Here's a story of grace as well. Now, I know that the facilitator of, of this group is John Woods. If you're in this life group, how about standing up? I don't, I don't even know all the whole group. But if you're in this life group, would you stand up for a minute here? Okay, some of them. You know, I, I want you to realize that there are examples to all of us to reach out and to extend grace to people. Thank you very, very much. And I think that's what Paul's talking about here. So if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I, I want to read verses 11 through uh, uh, 13 and then go to chapter 7 and read verses 2 to 4 because they're combined here as Paul is, is really making this appeal for affection. He's calling them to love. And uh, he's, he, he's making this appeal that they need to open their hearts. Uh, their hearts were closed to him. They weren't always closed to him. But they were close to him now. Why? Well, because they were listening to people who were really false teachers, people who were lying about the Apostle Paul, people who did not want to submit to the authority of the Apostle Paul. And, and so they were, they were really going after Paul. And uh, they were criticizing him and making fun of his speech and the way he spoke, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that was impacting and influencing people who Paul had led to Christ even and, and who were really in love with Paul at one time. But their love was just kind of dying and their hearts were being closed to Paul. And so Paul is making this appeal to him. Now realize that he's not commanding. 
Now, we do have in Scripture, do we not, the commands to love. The Lord Jesus in the Gospel of John tells us, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. But you see, Paul's not commanding this because it's personal here. This is the most personal letter that Paul writes to any church. And so he's opening his uh, heart, and he's sharing emotionally even how he feels about certain things. And, uh, you know, he wants, he, he can't command them and say, you better love me. Can you imagine that? I mean, what if we walked around and we looked at people who we didn't think loved us, and we just said, I command you in the name of Jesus to love me. I don't think that would work. So Paul's not doing that here. He's appealing to them, however. And he's saying, you know, my heart is open to you. I I love you. And and I want you to respond to that love. I want you to love me. And so notice what he has to say. Verses 11 through 13. First of all, he says this. We have spoken freely to you. In other words, we've been really open and honest with you. And he uses the word Corinthians here. So he, he, this, is, this is also really important as you think about this appeal. And so this openness and honest communication, he says, oh, Corinthians, it intensifies the emotion of this. Paul only does this a few times. He does it in the book of Philippians chapter 4, I believe verse 15, where he uses, uh, you know, where he's talking to the Philippians and he actually calls them, oh, Philippians. And he uses it in the, in the book of Galatians as well, chapter 3 and verse 1. Uh, oh, Galatians, okay? So he's really bringing in not only truth, but his emotions to this. And he, and he, he wants them to realize uh, his love for them. So he says this, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, in other words, they should be adults by now. He should be dealing with them in a, in a mature way. But in this, they've reverted back to childhood. And he's saying, I speak to you, unfortunately, as children. And he goes on and he, he says, widen your hearts also. Get the picture. I want you to love. Love is from the heart. It's genuine love. But you've got to open up to it. You've got to widen your heart. Well, then if you drop down to chapter 7, beginning in verse 2, here we find kind of a restatement of this. And so Paul is, again, talking about love, and, and, uh, you know, he's uh, calling them to understand how he loves them and that they need to love him. So he makes the appeal, verse 2, make room in your hearts for us. Make room in your heart, Paul says, please. Make room in your heart for me. And then he says, we have wronged no one. So those false teachers and people who were trying to sow discord among the brethren, they were lying. And Paul wanted to, wants uh, the Corinthian church to know that he wronged no one. He corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. So I haven't loved you to get something in return. You realize that oftentimes uh, people love to get something in return. The the motive is not pure and clean. It's it's a conditional kind of love. If I love you, then I expect something back. Paul's not talking about that kind of love. I, I have never dealt with you in a bad way, Paul is saying. My heart has been right 
towards God and right towards you. And so I never, in essence, loved you to get something back from you. And so he says, I took no advantage of you. Well, then he goes on and he he says this, I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. In other words, Paul's saying this. We hear this kind of at at weddings, do we not? That uh, we commit our love to this person we're marrying in what? In sickness and in health. That's what Paul's dealing with here. Death or life, I love you, you see. In the good and the bad, I love you. Now, if anyone had an okay, so to speak, not to love this, this church, it would be the Apostle Paul. How could you put up with, Paul could have said, how could, I, how could you put up with people who are talking bad about me and saying that I'm lying, that I'm really not giving you the message of God? How can you, how can you accept all this? You know, if, if you're not going to love me, I'm not going to love you. You ever think that way? Well, if you say, no, I never thought that way, then you are a super Christian. Because I think most of us at times have thought, you know what? If, if they're going to treat me this way, I'm not going to love them. I'm surely not going to go out of my way if they're not willing to do it. But Paul wants them to know, no matter what, I'm going to love you. There's unconditional love, you see. Because Paul's been touched by the unconditional, unending, unselfish love of Almighty God. And so he goes on, and, and he says, I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort in all our afflictions. I am overflowing with joy. And so what's Paul dealing with here? He's saying this, you know. He says, I'm giving you the truth, and I'm making an appeal to you. And, and the, the people that I'm really talking to are people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if you've done that, then you, you are filled with the Spirit of God. You have the very Spirit of God dwelling within you. And I believe, this is what Paul said, I believe that when you hear the truth and you hear the truth of God's Word, that you're going to respond to it. I believe that that will happen. That's what he's saying. And so he, he deals with this. And so you and I need to realize that, he, that back up in... Uh, well, uh, back up in verses three, or verse 11 to 13 of chapter 6, then, he makes this call to love. And he tells them, I'm making this appeal to you to open your hearts as I have opened my heart to you. You need to take that risk. You need to take that chance because this is what God uh, really wants. And so we have, we have opened our heart to you. Now, please, open your heart uh, to us, and so Paul makes that appeal, and uh, he, he, in essence, in verse thirteen, is saying that please reciprocate uh, that love and that affection, um, and uh, I think that that's an important issue for each and every one of us to realize that God wants us to open our hearts uh, to one another, to Him, and to, to one another. Well, and then in verses two through four, uh, in chapter seven. Uh, He's saying again, make room for me. And uh, he wants them to know he wronged no one, he corrupted no one, he took advantage of no one. And uh, so he wants them to realize that they should change, that they should should take this appeal. And he has confidence of how they would uh, respond. Uh, He was proud of them in that God had saved them. 
and that he believed that God would work in him. So you and I need to realize that God wants us to love. Uh, he never lets us out of love. You realize that? I mean, we, we've talked about this before. But it doesn't matter what. It doesn't matter. He, he wants us to have wide open hearts. Whether we agree with everything or not, he never says it's okay to be bitter, it's okay to be angry, it's okay to be resentful. No, we, we need to have open hearts and we need to love one another. And that's the appeal here. It, it doesn't say, well, you know, love those who are smart enough to love you. And if people are good to you, be good to them. No, he says, open your hearts. And I think probably as they read this letter, they would have to also ask the question of themselves, well, why have we changed towards Paul? Has he done something that, you know, really should have set us off? Why aren't we loving him the way that we used to love him? And my guess is that if they really thought about that, they would say, well, we've been influenced negatively by other people. That nothing has happened personally to us, but we have accepted the views of other people who were really against the Apostle Paul. And so Paul is appealing to them. He makes this appeal in chapter 6, verse 1, you remember, that he really wants them to work together and not to, you know, let the grace of God just be viewed in vain in their lives. That's another appeal that he makes. And now, based on that, he's saying, open your hearts and love. Well, then I want you to take note that he switches gears here. In verse 14, there, there's a total switch. And uh, so he goes from a call or, or a, an appeal to love to now a command. Now he's command, giving them mandates, commands. And uh, he gives four of them. And so in my outline, you'll, you'll just see a concern or a uh, command to love, but actually there's four commands that uh, Paul gives here. I want to read beginning in verse 14 to the end of the chapter, and then I'm going to read verse uh, 1 of chapter 7 because they're connected as well. So here's what Paul says, beginning in chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked. And so we've all heard that. I mean, the, the imagery is uh, having two different kinds of animals uh, to uh, pull something, and, and it doesn't work unless you have two similar kinds of beasts, so to speak, pulling some wagon. You don't yoke two different kinds of uh, animals if you want uh, to be productive. And so he's saying that you and I need to be careful that we're not unequally yoked in some way. Now, we're going to come back to that, but notice what else he says. He says, do not, and this, of course, is one of the commands, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And so you're a believer. He's, he wants them to, to think about that, that they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They're followers of Christ. And uh, an unbeliever is a person who doesn't believe in Jesus, doesn't necessarily believe in God. And uh, he's saying, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership? And he gives us uh, kind of uh, in this uh, uh, caution here, uh, he gives us a, a number of uh, contrasts, if you will. And he says, and, and notice how he, how he words them, for what partnership? 
So when we're talking about being unequally yoked, he's saying be careful of what partnerships you have. So he says, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Well, they're opposites. That's, that's the concern here. They're, they're total opposites. They're, and, and he's asking here rhetorical questions and, and answers, so to speak. It's a style of teaching that Paul is using here. And he, he wants us to realize that there's absolutely nothing uh, common about these. So he's, he's demonstrating incompatibility uh, and, and uh, incongruity of following Jesus and following the world at the same time. And so, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? They're opposite, right? Light and darkness, total opposites, nothing in common. Then he uh, talks about uh, what accord, you might have a translation, and I like the translation, honestly, that says what harmony, what harmony uh, does Christ have uh, with Belial? Now, Belial, let's, let's uh, understand that that's the personification of evil, and so it's the antithesis of uh, Christ himself. And so uh, they recognized, during the time of the Apostle Paul writing this, they recognized that this was a name for Satan himself. And uh, it's it's kind of a uh, combining of a Hebrew Hebrew word and a name of a false god. And so when he talks about Belial, uh, he's really bringing together one uh, word that means worthlessness with uh, Baal. Um, And so he's bringing those together and it's the personification of evil. So what in common, what harmony is there between Christ and Satan? Well, absolutely none. Now, let me take just a second here. Um, But when we talk about this word uh, harmony or accord as the ESV uses it, you know, you know what, the, uh, we, we get a word from the Greek, this Greek word, and the word we get is symphony, all right? Have you ever been to a symphony? You know, when, when you go to a symphony, uh, you know, there's, there's, the music is so fantastic, and you have all of these instruments working together, but let me ask you, have you ever been early to a symphony and heard them warm up? Have you? I mean, it sounds so bad, you're thinking, what, you know, why am I here? Everybody is doing their own thing and the horns and the, you know, strings and they're all just warming up and and they're not playing anything together. There's no unity. There's no harmony. There's no really good music. And here's what the word Paul uses and he's saying there's no symphony. There's no good music. There's nothing good. There's nothing in common. There's no harmony. They have nothing in accord with one another. And so... He wants us to understand that when we bring those together, the good and the evil, there's no harmony. Don't expect anything good. Nothing good's going to come of it, you see. Well, then uh, he tells us, he says, uh, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? 
Uh, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? And for this, he gives us a little bit of an explanation. He says, for we are the temple of the living God. Paul deals with that in 1 Corinthians, that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. And so when we accept Christ as Savior, it's the Spirit of God who dwells within us. And we're, the temp- we're, the, we're a living temple. And so we don't worship idols. And so he, he wants us to realize that there's nothing in common then with this. Now, he goes on and he continues to give us some uh, uh, commands here, Our, uh, and, but he also uh, gives us really four promises uh, that we find in the Old Testament. So let me read this. So he, he says, as God said, so he's backing up what he's saying with the truth of God's word, and I want you to notice the, the word these two words each time, I will. So he says this, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from the midst and be separate. Another command that he gives us here. Be separate from them, says the Lord. Another command, touch no unclean thing. And he says, uh, then I will welcome you. I will be a father to you. You shall be sons and daughters uh, to me, says the Lord Almighty. So he gives us then um, this, uh, after these, these cautions, let me make sure you have the cautions. Stop being unequally yoked, that's a command. Come out from among them, that's a command. Be separate. Have boundaries, that's a command, and then touch not the unclean thing. Well, then he gives us, uh, in essence, these contrasts that we've looked at, and these commitments, and the commitments is this, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will uh, be their God, and they shall be my people. I will welcome them, or you, I will be a father to you. And so here, you know, God, God will receive us as his children in full fellowship. These are not verses that talk about salvation. These are verses that talk about our relationship with God and the way to joy, uh, the, the way that, uh, you know, we have a good relationship uh, with God. And so he gives us these commitments. And then he gives us a last concern in chapter 7 and verse 1. This is a continuation, you notice this, by the word since, or therefore, since we have these promises. So if you were wondering if they're real promises, Paul says, I want you to realize these are from God. These are promises that you can bank on. These are truth. So those four, four promises that I've already mentioned. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. And so here's the, the commitments that God makes, but then the concerns that, that we, we should uh, recognize. So what are they? Well, when he talks about not being unequally yoked and coming out from among them and being separate and touching not the unclean, this is not a, a command Uh, These are not commands even, that God wants us to isolate ourselves. Uh, He wants us uh, to be in this world, but not of the world. He wants us to 
to uh, connect with people who are unsaved and unchurched so that we can share the good news of the gospel with them. He's not telling us that we need to have this secondary kind of uh, separation that unless you dot every I and cross every T just like I do, I'm not going to have any fellowship with you. But when we are born again, believers in Jesus Christ, and and we believe what really are the fundamentals of the scripture and, and of salvation, then we need to come out from among those who uh, do not hold to the truth of God's word. And so it's not a commitment to uh, isolate yourself. If you don't have contact with the world, then you'll never win the people to Christ. They'll have no confidence in you or the, in what you share uh, with the gospel. And I think we have to realize that Paul here, in fact, I think it's emphasized in chapter 7, verse 1, when he says, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. He, he's, he's bringing himself right into this. So here's what Paul's, Paul's not saying, you know, I want you to realize how separated I am. That, that man, I, I can, I'm so separated from everybody and all the evil that, that I can criticize people and, and I can put people down, I can be a fault finder. You see, sometimes people get so separated that really they become so filled with pride that they're, all they're doing is finding fault with everybody else. That's not what he's saying here. So what is he saying? Because I, I think we can confuse this and, and so forth, but I think he's saying this in verse 17 and verse 14 especially. Here's what he's saying. Be careful of any association with the world that will hinder you from doing the will of God. That's what he's saying. So when you bring this to a conclusion, what's the conclusion? Because I think the conclusion will help us to understand the entire account. The first is this question. Is your heart wide open to love the way God wants you to love? That's what he's saying. Open your heart. Open your heart wide, he's saying. Love the way God wants you to love. And so with that now, that's not my second question, but with that is this kind of sub-question, and that is this, for all of us to ask ourselves, what hinders us from loving the way God wants us to love? And it might be different to each and every one of us. And so question one, is your heart wide open to love the way God wants you to love? And part of that is this, what hinders you from loving the way God wants you to love? Now, maybe Paul has, is a little bit concerned that the Corinthians would misunderstand what he's saying. And maybe, uh, you know, that's why he goes into this issue of separation and so forth. So, you know, it doesn't mean that when we love that we overlook sin and and, and, and issues that ought to be dealt with. Paul doesn't do that here. He confronts them even though he loves them. So here's the second issue. What alliances? What friendships? What partnerships? What associations? What affections hurt your walk with God? See, that's an important question. And I would submit to you that what we have to be really careful of is this that we need to get rid of, we need to not be yoked with anything 
that is spiritually toxic. And sometimes we're in relationships that are spiritually toxic. Sometimes we, we are doing things that are spiritually toxic. Sometimes we have associations and partnerships. It can be in marriage, and Paul tells you, if you're, if you're married to somebody who's unsaved, don't leave them, stay there. He, he deals with that in 1 Corinthians. But think about this even in business and so forth. Are you in business with people who really are spiritually toxic, and you're not winning them, but they're messing you up? And so Paul is telling us then that what hurts us in our walk with God, we better realize that God needs to be more important than all of those partnerships and associations and affections so that we might honor and glorify him in all that we say, all that we do. 